live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys, Aitzid Weinstein and Naor Mininger. Hello, Aitzid. Hey, Naor. Founded way back in the 17th century, the Japanese crime syndicate, the Yakuza, boasts over 100,000 members. The Yakuza are infamous for their extremely rigorous code of conduct, as well as for their ruthless brutality. Uh, it's hard to imagine how a young, nice Jewish reporter would navigate and network his way through such a vast and dangerous criminal organization. But this is precisely what Jake Adelstein, author of the uh, great book Tokyo Vice, has done, often putting his life on the line to do so. And he's here with us to talk about it. With us, uh, two nice Jewish boys. Hello, Jake. Hi. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to I was going to say, have you on my show like I've already taken over <laughs> isn't that pushy isn't like the prototypical pushy it. pushy you can Jew. have it how are you oh I'm very good it's nice to be here and um on a, on a, on a Saturday night which which apparently is the time that, that this like Sunday night in the United States right because tomorrow everybody goes to work mm-hmm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. this is probably why people don't want to go out drinking with me tonight you know when I get done <laughs> yeah. you well, actually have to show up at work sober tomorrow huh? we, we can we can tag along no problem it's exactly yeah it's the end of the weekend so it's like when the uh, when that the, the Monday blues kind of start already you know the early Monday blues and so. just uh, before we begin we'll say that we have two amazing corporations one with the Jewish Journal of Greater Los Angeles they're a great source for Jewish news in the United States. And then, Aitam, we have uh, Secret Tel Aviv. Secret Tel Aviv. We're starting a cooperation with them. Check them out on Facebook. Great group. It's a group uh, of 140,000 uh, people who came to Tel Aviv and they discuss, like, uh, life here. The secret, like, the, like, what's exciting about here or is it just life in general in Tel Aviv? Because I'm a huge fan of the Tel Aviv Central Bus Station. I could explore that place for <laughs> yeah. days. Oh, I can take you to a tour there. But, Careful, uh, though, the places you go to in there because <laughs> one, one end of it can be nice, but you might find yourself in an abandoned theater with, uh, with you know, homeless yeah. murderers. It's, it's hard to know what's there. The, the, the fact that they have two to type Two tattoo parlors is really impressive because, like, what 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 yeah. bus stop needs two really? <laughs> so, Jake, um, how is it uh, dealing with the Yakuza and having such a dangerous career? How is it that you're still alive? Okay. Well, first of all, we should we should we've got to update the numbers here. Now, okay. when I started, the Yakuza were probably around a hundred thousand um, uh-huh. people in Japan, but. Um, you know, the Japanese government put anti-organized crime laws on the books, and from 1992, when they went on the books, to 2011 or so, they brought it down to 80,000. Oh, okay. But, but in recent years, they have actually done things to make life so unpleasant for the organized crime groups that they're down to 50,000. Oh, wow. Which is an, a tremendous improvement when you think of they mm-hmm. hovered around 80,000 for 16 years. Um, one thing is that, you know, I... I was when I got out of college. I started working for the Midi Shimbun, which is Japan's largest newspaper. Um, Ten million copies a day at its peak, um, probably less than that now. And we get assigned to cover the police beat at the beginning. And I was assigned my second year to cover organized crime. And I started covering them actually in 1993. Um, pretty much off the bat because uh, there was a, a case of missing persons in Saitama Prefecture where I was, where one of the people who was missing, who had been assumed killed by a serial killer, um, was a Yakuza boss. So part of my job was trying to figure out 
where he had gone and where he had disappeared and was he connected to this chain of um, disappearances that involved a husband and wife serial killer um, mm-hmm. and who ha- were also dog breeders. Oh, wow. They yeah. were dog breeders, the but, husband and wife. Yes. Well, guess where a lot of the bodies went um, oh. <laughs> over a 10-year period. Yeah. I, I don't think we ever put that in the paper because I think the families would have been horrified. And yeah. I don't know. Hopefully none of them are going to be listening to this broadcast. So they I'm don't know pro- until, until this day they don't, they don't realize... They, they know that he chopped up the, I mean, the, the survivors of the, the victims know that he chopped up the bodies and burnt them. He, I don't think they know that he fed the meat to his dogs. Okay, so back to the original. So how come you're still alive then? Well, first of all, I, I'm a reporter. So when I was assigned to cover organ, the Organized Crime Task Force, that means I deal with the cops that crack down on the Yakuza. And since the, the Yakuza, and that is a very broad term for about 22 designated organizations that are not banned but regulated by the Japanese government. So think of the... Think of like the SEC and Goldman Sachs in the United States, and that's kind of the relationship they have, except occasionally the Yakuza actually go to jail. <laughs> occasionally. Instead of just occasionally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with their office buildings and business cards and um, fan magazines, they have a public image to maintain, and part of that public image is suggesting or convincing the world that they are humanitarian organizations like Hamas, that do a, a lot of good for the world, mm-hmm. you know, charity work and stuff when they're not killing people and extorting money and other things. Um, but since they have to keep up that image, they are very prudent in violence against um, public individuals and and citizens who are not involved with organized crime. And that makes it a, little, a lot easier, actually, to do my job mm-hmm. because they don't want bad publicity. It's, it's bad to kill a journalist because it makes people think, you know, that... Um, Next, you'll be going after the judges and the lawyers and the mm-hmm. police officers, and that's actually usually how it works. What are so, we, savages? <laughs> so they operate within this like strict code of conduct, as we mentioned before. And what, what does that include other than, well, well, you know, not... The, the strict code of conduct is like this. If you go into a Yakuza office, and, and, and I always think this is amusing. If you went to the National Police Agency of Japan's webpage and looked up organized crime, you could find a list of all 22 groups, the symbol of each group. It would list the name of the leader and also the address of their offices. So if you want to find the Yakuza, be my guest. Go on, the, go, on the, go on the web, look up their headquarters, and go knock on the door. I don't think that you Set will be welcome. Set up an appointment. Yeah. <laughs> I just had someone write me today, like, how do I get in touch with the Yakuza? And I sent them a copy to the web link, and I was like, good luck. <laughs> don't suggest that you do this. So they're so, I mean, they're just out there. They're just, you know, they, they're fully out in the open on the web. I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I love the fan <laughs> magazines. I, I can show you one after we're done. I mean, I have like a whole collection of them. Um, mm-hmm. There's even comic books you can pick up at 7-Eleven about the latest gang war. Like the, the latest gang war started in August of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the... Uh, that was the 100th year anniversary of the Yamaguchi Gumi's existence. The Yamaguchi Gumi is the biggest. Um, they're not the oldest, but they're the biggest. Um, and, you know, within a couple months of the gang conflict, which, which has been relatively low, on, low in bloodshed, um, you know, there was a comic book explaining the whole thing. Sort which of a documentary they produce? Comic book. They don't produce it. Um, usually the, the writers of the comic book go to their offices and talk to the members, and they have some cooperation. Um, but they, they so, don't write it themselves. So the, I mean, so it sounds like the yakuza is is a sort of like intricate part or deep seated part of Japanese culture. I mean, it's, it's yeah, especially after the Second World War, they are. Um, I mean, this is they originally started as two kinds of groups: federations of gamblers and federations of street merchants. Um, and Japan's 
Liberal Democratic Party was founded with money from Kodama Yoshio, who was a who was a Yakuza boss of sorts. Prime Minister Nakasone was a member of Yakuza group. We're speaking after the war. We're speaking after the war, um, though they existed before the war. Um, Prime Minister Koizumi, who is one of Japan's oldest, uh, like longest running prime ministers, uh, his grandfather was called the Irezumi Daijin, meaning the tattooed minister, because he was covered with tats. Anyway, he was, his grandfather was a Yakuza. So and, how did they become what they are today then? Well, be, because you know, you asked me like, what what do they do? What is their code? And they don't have much of a code, but if you go into Yakuza's office, usually there's a like a you know in very ornate Japanese calligraphy on their wall. There's kind of a thing, a list of the rules that you that will get you kicked out of the organization, and the things that are banned are common theft, robbery, that is you know stealing things by force. Um, sexual assault, dealing in drugs, and anything that is in disharmony with the noble way that they espouse. And they call themselves ninkyodo, which is a kind of philosophy of helping uh, the less fortunate and the weak and protecting the people. I mean, I mean that's what they espouse, right? So they're kind of like the Japanese Robin Hood. Yeah, they're kind of like the Japanese Robin Hood. That isn't true in practice. Um, but that also leaves a whole bunch of uh, you know money-making operations that they can do, which is loan sharking. Uh, racketeering, collecting protection money, and, and blackmailing and extortion. And also, I, I, yeah, sorry. I, 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 you've probably heard this, but I always think this is funny. I, I, I've asked, you know, two or three yakas over the years, um, you know, how is it that extortion and blackmail are acceptable parts of what you do? And they said, if you do something so bad that the yakas are blackmailing about blackmailing you about it, then then that's social justice and you should pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> karma. Karma. It's karma, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're doing good. That's beautiful. It is kind of beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but how did it, did it start? What are the roots of it? Yeah, I mean, there are so many different uh, explanations. The traveling merchant, because you have to remember, there's the traveling merchant groups and there are the gambling groups. So um, some credit it to the the early days of the the firefighters in the town would you know would often get tattooed and be sort of groups. And when there were no fires, they didn't have much to do except protect the people from the samurai. The samurai are always the enemy of the common people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and extort money from from the local shop owners to make to keep the peace. Um, and the and the firefighters were a rough bunch because in the old days nobody knew how to fight fire. You didn't have like fire hoses. So how did you fight a fire in in Tokyo and places that were on fire? So you knocked down all the buildings around, so that the fire couldn't catch, which is well, pretty rough work. If uh, the Londoners would have done it, uh, London would have been saved in the Great Fire. So it's pretty smart when you think about but, it. But we wouldn't have the lovely city we have today. True, true. true. But Tokyo is especially. I mean, Tokyo in Japan is especially susceptible because it's all these wooden, right, bamboo huts that. In the old days, yeah. So fire was a big deal. Firefighters were an important job. Um, So you're saying the firefighters then involved into these organized crime syndicates? Yeah, and, and, you know, the organized crime syndicates were very small. Um, You know, they're usually groups of 30, 40 people, and they would host gambling events in the days when there wasn't much entertainment. Japanese have always loved gambling. That was, you know, they would take a cut. So kind of like the first casino owners. When are we speaking? We're speaking like the 1800s, 1700s. Now, when they talk about Yakuza groups going back to the 1700s, they're really the only uh, group that is over 100 years old is the Aizuko Tetsukai in Kyoto, which dates back to about 1870. They were a bunch of gamblers, and when they had enough power, they extorted protection money from all the Kyoto merchants. And that's, they also have their headquarters next to where Nintendo is. Hmm. And um, 
Gunpei, one of the founders of Nintendo, talks about his early days at working for the company when Nintendo was making playing cards, is that he had to go inspect all the playing cards that were being dispensed by the vending machines to make sure none of them were bent, because if they were bent, the local Yakuza would terrorize the company. Mm-hmm. And even the um, nin in Nintendo uh, may be taken from the word ninkyodo, which is the Yakuza word of referring to the noble way that they follow. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's... That's, so uh, if I'm playing Pokemon, I'm basically uh, you're actually yeah you're actually contributing to the Yakuza. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they've long evolved since that. But you know, there was a time when uh, Nintendo was you know running love hotels and things that you wouldn't actually associate with the the family friendly group that we have now. They were running love hotels. So they were running love hotels, wow. which is the code for sex. No, it's not the well, it's, <laughs> I, I, it, it's generally the code for sex. A love hotel is a hotel that has. Usually they have two or three hour shifts, and then and from you know late at night you can actually spend the night. Um, but yep, the primary purpose of the little hotel is to have sex. You want to ask something, Ethan? Okay. Mm. Uh, so uh, what what's the relationship with between uh, the state, the cops, and the yakuza? The relationship used to be kind of cozy. Um, was used to be used to be kind of cozy. It was pretty cozy up until um, it was it was pretty cozy up until the 90s and I think the thing that really made um, made people nervous was during the great you know Japan's economic bubble is the Yakuza got so involved in the stock market and real estate speculation that they became um, an economic force right um, and they you know Ishi Susumu Sama um, who was the second generation leader of the Inagawa Kai was heavily involved in the stock market. I mean, he would basically, some of his stock plays crashed the market and they became aware like, wow, wow these guys got really powerful and they're moving into areas that we've never moved to, to before. Mm-hmm. And then when Itami Juzo, the film director, made a movie called Minbo no Ona around 1993 um, or 1992, which depicted how much the Yakuza were getting involved in civil affairs, like shaking yeah. down hotels and extortion and stockholder meetings and these kind of things. Um, and members of the Yamaguchi Migorogumi attacked him at his home and sliced, sliced open his face. Um, you know, the public and the police were like, wow, this has gone too far. I mean, if these guys can do anything with impudence and they can attack film directors and they won't stand any criticism, then we need to reel them in. Right. So, and, and, and the cops and, and the Yakuza, they're like coexist in a, in a sense. Until in in, in, 19, in it took a couple of years. By the by, the October first of two thousand eleven, um, every single prefecture, which is like a like a state um, in Japan, passed a law, which an ordinance actually, which forbids associating with the yakuza, or profiting with them, or doing business with them. So in a sense, since they outlawed the yakuza for civilians, so um, at that point in time, if you pay off the yakuza, if they shake you down, you pay them, you are not a victim you're a criminal now mm-hmm. you, if you go to the police after you've been shaken down you get away with a warning and then they go um deal with the acts but uh, so yeah. you're left to deal with the yakuza on your own no no you know you, the police will come are very responsive now okay I mean, but one of the things they do is you know there was a time when when there was a kind of what in during 2008 the, i think 2007 the worm was 2007 the, the word was coined called kyosei which means cooperative entity and these were people who were using organized crime for investments or insider trading or working with the Yakuza to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
by 2011, the Japanese government basically said, if you're going to do that, we are going to name you as a cooperative entity and we're going to punish you. Mm-hmm. And if you continue to do it after we, we, we release your name, then we're going to actually arrest you. So that makes cooperating with organized crime a crime. Right. Um, so you're not a victim, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you, know, you have a, a choice. Do you want to be publicly humiliated and associated with the Yakuza, which could mean that you don't have the ability to open a bank account anymore, or banks won't lend money to you, or you'll be kicked out of your apartment, or do you want to go to the police and tell them what's happening? Mm-hmm. Right. And also, you know, it's worth em- emphasizing. I didn't, I'm in the middle of the book, I admit. But one of my favorite scenes uh, up until now is where you, on the first time, you're pretty, uh, uh, you don't really, you're not really familiar with uh, what's going on in Japan just yet. And you find yourself in a meeting with a big boss. And he, uh, in a very openly manner, tells you how the Yakuza and the Mafia works and their realms and how they operate. He just gives you everything there and describes the, all the fields. And, and, and then it strikes you and the reader also that they are everywhere. Yeah, they, they are everywhere because any, you know, I mean, the Yakuza don't run just illegal businesses. That's a huge misconception is the, these, you know, think of them as kind of like a Kiwanis club. You're a member. Um, and the third generation leader of the Amagichigumi, um, Taoku Kazuo uh, Kumicho, said, you know, and like in the 40s, every Yakuza needs to have legitimate occupation in addition to their own job. I, I'm very, you know, one thing that was pointed out to me is kind of interesting uh, about two years ago is that probably, you know, he's considered the godfather of godfathers, like one of the smartest men to ever run an organized crime group. He made the Amagichigumi like from a local group to a national What's group. What's his name? Taoka Kazuo. Um, and, and he was one of the first people to realize, you know, that, that after the Second World War, when Japan was in chaos, you know, he sort of established order within, within Kobe because there, were a lot of, there was a lot of chaos and the police weren't a- able to handle the job, but his gang of thugs were. Um, and, you know, and he, he did smart things like you had the Korean gangs uh, and the Korean gangs for a long time were untouchable by because the occupation said, you know, these third-party nationals who you, you've enslaved, we're not going to let the police arrest them and terrorize them. Mm-hmm. Like, so they went around terrorizing the Japanese and running the black markets, which just seemed kind of fair. Um, but when that sort of loophole was closed and they and these Korean gangs still existed, the Amagachigami absorbed them. Mm-hmm. And they started doing things like running their own entertainment company, like at one time, Kobe Genosha, which was run by the Amaguchigumi, was like the largest entertainment complex. So all of Japan's entertainers, the, the equivalent actors. of actors, uh, the, the equivalent of Japan's Dolly Parton or whoever the biggest singer, who's, who's the most famous like uh, female singer in, 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 in Israel? Ooh, in Israel? Like now it's not Sarit or Sarit Haddad, yeah. But let's say Christina Aguilera. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you know, they were her, her managers. And, and then, you know, they were very quick to do that. Um, so he's a very smart fellow. And he was the one also advised all his members, you need to have a legitimate occupation because he saw that as a way of, of surviving, right? You can't mm-hmm. survive on gambling alone. But it turns out we share the same birthday. He was born on March 28th, 1913. Oh. I was born on March 28th. 1969, something oh, wow. that doesn't make me particularly happy. So they have happy. insurance. <laughs> yeah. A little way to relate. What a way to relate. Yeah. They have insurance companies. They have um, real estate companies. They have everything you can imagine, yes, basically. In, uh, in 2007, like, this was, a f- for people who are interested in organized crime, this was such a wonderful event. Um, a police officer in Tokyo was 
using a file sharing service to download porn onto his computer. Uh, the file sharing service was called Winnie. Hmm. Um, and to share files, you have to designate an upload file. And he designated his upload file the entire database of organized crime that Tokyo had. Mm -hmm. um, so all the Yakuza offices within Tokyo uh, had an entire section on the Gotogumi. And you could like see, you know, when it had, you know, this company run by this group, what, what areas there were. There was... There were real estate companies, there were um, auditing firms, there were construction companies, there was even a chain of bakeries. I was, I was kind of impressed by that one. <laughs> so, I mean, if they're so uh, intertwined in like every aspect of Japanese life, then they, um, they approach these people and they, I mean, I'm, generally, I'm assuming they generally blackmail them to cooperate with them. Well, I mean, if you're running a business, it's on the shady side of things, right? Uh -huh. um, let's say you're running... A, podcast a, a podcast or, or or let's say you know up until a few years ago if you were running a disco and you danced after midnight you mm -hmm. might want to pay the yakuza because they would tell you when the police were going to make a raid mm -hmm. they have good intel i, I mean see. so uh, and a lot of times it was kind of like when there were many many different groups and they hadn't consolidated it was you would sort of pick the local yakuza over the foreign yakuza because they would be like do you want to be paying protection money to those barbarians from mm -hmm. Kansai or would you rather pay to us the good local Yakuza now and 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 and, and you also get a service yeah so if you're running a bar the yeah. service is that if you have a rowdy customer who gets out of control then you call the cops the cops are going to come mm -hmm. but faster than Sekom, which is like Japan's security service these guys will be there and they'll beat the crap out of the customer throw them out yeah but it's not I mean it's not a service in the sense that they're providing you with the option to purchase a service and if you don't want it then you know okay go on your way find a better price no, I, I'm uh, wondering uh, if, uh, if when they approach you do they say do they present it as an ultimatum it, until they put laws on the books yes mm -hmm. uh, it was you know the Yakuza had a free run to do whatever the hell they wanted until until the 90s mm -hmm. and it was really sort of epic that Japan put any anti-organized crime laws on the books. But even then, the very first laws were so weak that the Yakuza actually felt empowered by them because the new laws had a sort of method where the police would issue a cease and desist order first. So you'd go to the police and say, like, you know, this guy's shaking me down, and they would go to the Yakuza and say, stop doing that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and It's not cool. And, and at that point, they would know, like, well, you know, we don't want to screw with these people anymore because we actually might go to jail. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes people would be stupid enough to, you know, to do it one more time in which they get, like, another even more severe warning. And if they did it three times, then you actually went to jail. But most of them, you know, took that as, like, a, like a warning sign. Like, okay, this person, we've got as much as we can out of them. Mm -hmm. let's, let's quit while we're ahead. Mm -hmm. So, but Jake, what a nice Jewish boy like yourself. How, what? Japan? I mean, why? How? Well, you know, uh, it wasn't a particularly nice Jewish boy. It was kind of like a wise-ass Jewish kid. <laughs> a punk. A punk. So you're the I'm Jewish no, punk. I'm not a punk. I mean, I was actually into punk rock. I was in a punk rock band oh. in, in, in high school. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was it called? Good Karma. <laughs> Good Karma. <laughs> we had, oh, we had, yeah. yeah we had, I played guitar and, and sang. We had, there were two, two other girls in there. So it was, you know, it was and, and another guy, but he got grounded. So it was basically the three of us. <laughs> you didn't bring us a sample? And bring us a sample. Play. I don't think I, I don't think our greatest hit venereal disease is still on. <laughs> it might be on a might be on a cassette tape somewhere. <laughs> so how do you find your way there then? Well, I mean, I'm giving you the I'm giving you the story. So uh, you know, I, I'll condense this. 
So in, in high school, I got picked on by a, a, a group of people, mostly soccer jocks. And I got so fed up with it that I decided that the only way to stop it was if I could really hurt one of them, that maybe they would all leave me alone. So I was in biology class and I waited for the ringleader to sort of, you know, leave out of the class. And I was like, from the very beginning, I had no intention of a fair fight because I can't win. Mm-hmm. So I, I kicked him in the balls and then I grabbed him by the head and smashed his face into a table. And and, and I think he bled a little bit and principal. Like they the, teach you in the cheddar. I don't know what they didn't teach me. I was just like, you know, I, 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 my father did judo and I asked him like, okay. to show me a couple, to show me some simple moves, right? Okay. And I was like, and I understood enough. Like, if you keep your eyes open, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't take a, a lot to do that. You just have to get someone, you have to hit someone hard and then when they're bent over, you can just grab their head. And you, maybe if you, if you put your foot in front of there and push at the same time, they sort of fall over. And then, yeah. Um, you got to hit on the first shot. Oh, Otherwise, but, you know, you've just angered the bull. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Got to be moved fast, right? Yeah. No, actually, from my limited experience, most fights are over in like thirty seconds. You're mm-hmm. not eligible, Aitan. Huh? You're not eligible in fights. Yeah. No, I'm just. I just hit the floor without anybody hitting. Me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> It's one way to end it. Uh, <laughs> but, but but anyway, so you know, that was it was a calculated risk because I knew that the biology teacher really hated him too. I mean. Uh, later, I think we actually became friends. I don't really remember, but, but he says we did. So whatever. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, and he calls us up to the front of the room and he's like, can you know, he's like, I'm not going to say his real name. He's like, Jason, can you, can you tell me what happened here? And, you know, it's like two things could have happened and it could have been that you tripped and hurt yourself and you need to go to the nurse's office or it could be that the skinny Jew over here kicked your ass, in which case... You'll go to the nurse's office and he'll be expelled, but everyone will know that he kicked your ass. So, so what is it? And Jason was like, oh, I tripped. So <laughs> he went off to the nurse's office. And while I was gloating and sort of trying to sneak out the door, you know, the teacher called me over. I was like, Mr. Adelstein, you know, like, it's not acceptable to solve your problems with violence. And I realized that you are very upset with this person and that you have reason to do these things, but you should keep in mind that we can't do that in the real world and you would probably be expelled in most cases. But except for this one. Except for this one. <laughs> so, and also, he's probably very angry and he will, he will come and f- he, will, he will probably come back to retaliate and you need to know how to defend yourself. So, I'm going to give you the name of a good karate school and please enroll. And I said, well, what happens if I don't enroll? And he said, well, you'll be expelled. And I said, it sounds like karate is a great thing to do. <laughs> so I enrolled in karate. And, and from karate, I, uh, my teacher was very good, Mr. Foley, um, who grew up part of his life in Okinawa. And it got me interested in Japanese culture and Zen Buddhism, self-control and all those things. So when I was in college and I had a chance to study in Japan, I immediately took it because I thought, you know, that would be very interesting to do. Mm-hmm. And you learned, you moved there without any Japanese? I had about a year of basic Japanese. Actually, as, as it worked out, um, and, and I'll tell you this, because it's, it's, it's like a great sort of synchronistic event story, is I was walking across the campus trying to decide whether I would go to New York University where I would take in a year deferment, uh, what I wanted to do, and literally like the study in Japan flyer hit me in the face, like on a windy day. So I walked <laughs> over to the International Center and I said, spur of the moment I said you know are there any openings for this for the study in Japan program and they said you know and they looked down at the notes and they're like well you have to have had two years of Japanese and you only had one year so you can't apply and, and I asked how, well, how many people are going this year 
And there was this long silence. And it was like, well, we, we haven't had anyone apply. And I'm like, so how many students are coming from Sophia University? Mm-hmm. That's the, the Japanese university, Jochidagaku. She's like, well, we have 20. And I'm like, so you have 20 people coming here and no one from us going there. So that doesn't sound like much of an exchange. So actually, you should be glad that I'm applying because I will yeah. go. Yeah. And, uh, and you should reconsider. Um, can, I, can I speak to the head of the program? <laughs> so the head of the program came out. We talked a bit. And, and she said, let me, let me think about this. And, you know, she went into her office and she came back. She said, okay, you can go. <laughs> she didn't have to give it much thought. She didn't have to give it much thought. It's, so you studied what there? I studied, uh, I'd studied, you know, I was like at the University of Missouri, I think was a philosophy major for my first year. So, and then I had originally gotten a New York school, uh, the school of the arts, and I took a deferment so I could like save up money to go there. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it wrote to school like i'm gonna take another year and go to japan they, they were like that's fine and then when i went to japan um after about three months there i ended up uh, through a chance meeting um living at a first teaching english to a priest at a zen te- small zen buddhist temple and then living there most of my college life and that was great because it's very immersive mm-hmm and um, so you lived in a zen buddhist temple for the for the first year of your you know for the first three four years of my college career i think i was in college for five years it was very nice i'm still i'm still very good friends with the the priest yoga yeah and would you did you immerse yourself in that lifestyle as well you know i mean i had so there were there were a couple requirements for living in a zen buddhist temple because it was originally supposed to be for a monk right but nobody wanted to be a monk in in the you know in in the in the late 80s Mm mm-hmm uh, had to come to Zazen, which is sitting meditation on Sundays. Um, that was once a week and all the people in the neighborhood came and I had to keep my hair cut short and I still have the same haircut. I couldn't have women in my room and I had to keep the basic Buddhist precepts, which are uh, not to kill, not to take what's not given, not to lie, uh, not to engage in sexual misconduct and not to drink or take drugs to the point of getting intoxicated. How did like you do? Fives. Oh, I did really good on all those, except, no, <laughs> actually, I, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't take anything. Uh, and I didn't drink at all in college. I didn't start drinking until I became a reporter. So let's get to that point, because you graduate and you decide you want to be a reporter, and then you go through this testing phase. Well, okay, before, actually, it, it's tricky, because in Japan, they usually hire you before you graduate from college. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. So, Instead of before I graduate, so typically job employment in Japan in the days work like this. You know, companies would have seminars because there was like an official job hunting season. Companies would have seminars. You would take the seminar and then they would, you know, whisper in your ear like, you, you're hired next year. So I had like a, a job promised to me at Sony and I had a year in school left. And I'm like any person, I'm really kind of lazy. So I'm like, if I don't have some sort of goal, I won't force myself to study Japanese and I had been writing for the Japanese school newspaper just just to see what I could do mm-hmm. you know just to force myself to like try and write in Japanese um, and I noticed that all my colleagues were taking the, were preparing for these examinations because newspapers in Japan hire by examination you take like an SAT test and mm-hmm. if you do well enough you get called back for the interviews and then you get hired so I decided that I would devote my last year of school and I had a very light class load to studying for these exams um, I wish that I could say that I always aspired to be a journalist because it would be more impressive, but it was kind of like, like, you know, uh, I, I like journalism. This is fun. Let's, let's see how I do on the exam. 
And then I never, thought cool. that I'd be, I never thought I'd be offered a job. It was only maybe in my third or fourth year that I suddenly actually realized that, oh, the journalism is important. We're the fourth estate. Like, investigative journalism matters. Yeah. I, I heard that in Japan, they actually don't make, an, they don't tell you before you're hired what the salary is. Is that true? Or did they present you with? There's no contract. There is no. There's no yeah. contract. But you know, you can look. I mean, in, in those days, there was no internet, but you could go to the bookstore and they'd tell you roughly what the salary was. You could go to the bookstore. You could go to the bookstore. There would be all these guidebooks. Japanese love manuals, ah. right? So if you're going to look apply for a job, there's a manual. If you if you if you wanted to study for these examinations, I mean, you couldn't get the answers, but you could get a fair sense of what kind of questions would be asked. What、uh -huh. things you would need to know.、Yeah. There, there are all sorts of manuals. But there's yes, a manual yes, there. There's a manual there with the type of job you're going to and what the salary is. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That was、and、always. So you、that. have this, but it's not specific to a country,、uh, a company. You don't know. It was specific to a company. It would tell、companies. you, like, it would tell you what the company culture is like, what what kind of things to expect. You know, like、Amazing. the difference between what they tell you and what you what you actually get. What are the weirdest manuals, though? Um, I, I have a collection of manuals. I love collecting Japanese manuals. There's The most horrific is probably the perfect manual of suicide,、um, oh. which, uh, which actually ended up being one of my first scoops.、Um, because when that book came out, I knew that sooner or later someone would kill themselves with it. And I asked、uh, one of the local cops, like, the moment that body shows up, you know, I took him drinking a couple of times. Because actually,、mm -hmm. we made more money than the cops in those days. Can, can you imagine journalists making more money than cops? It's true. <laughs> There was a time. That's, that's, those days are over. Those days are over.、Um, <laughs> So you know, and when 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 this poor kid actually did kill himself that way, he gave me a heads up. So that was my、uh -huh. first scoop.、Um, wow! So that was your first story. Your that first, was my like, first scoop.、Story. My first big、yeah. story.、Um, and then then there was a second one a short time later, and we we had a sort of editorial decision that we wouldn't keep writing about it because it would promote the book and actually encourage people to kill themselves、mm -hmm. using the book.、Mm -hmm. uh, another manual that I really like is the perfect the manual of perfect disappearance, which tells you how to. Disappear in Japan, create a new identity, or steal someone else's identity, and everything you need to do to just like start a new life, just in case. And of、just、course, there、case. are the sexual ones. Oh yeah, there's the sexual ones. I mean, the Japanese love manuals. My, my favorite one was Sex Pal, which was like a mixture of these really rawdy, sort of raunchy like illustrations and detailed things of like you know、uh, of、uh, we can I guess we can say this on the radio, like clitoral massage and stuff.、Oh, okay. It was it was kind of <laughs> useful. It was like. Like who knew? I, I think that it was like years later before the West caught up、yeah. with the fact that you you, you know you could just keep that in the bedroom. Just say that my you open it up, you know, in the middle, and just、oh, excuse me, I need to check the manual <laughs> how, where to where to go. I'll、next. just say that my birthday's coming up. So just <laughs> say, you know. So、oh, so how did you go from this first scoop about this、uh, this this guy who used the manual to commit suicide to writing about the yakuza? Well, I went to writing about the yakuza because I got assigned to do it.、I、okay. Mean, Uh, second year, we're all you know, and I'd done well on the story about the dog killer and the death of the yakuza who had been killed by him.、Mm -hmm. That is to say, in the most important newspaper in Japan, one of the most important、yeah. newspapers I mean, in Japan, no, just no, to mention it. No, I, I thought right. The original, like when they hired me, they were kind of like, yeah, you know, Adelson, we're gonna we're gonna put you out on the police beat with everybody else, and of course you're bilingual, so after a year we'll bring you up to the. You know, international affairs bureau, but but actually, I got this call one day and was like, you know, like you're doing such a good job on the police beat. We're going to keep you there a little bit longer. And I was like, that's great because you know what? <laughs> what are you going to in a Japanese company? Am I am I going to complain? I mean, because it, it 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 it's going to happen already, right? There's yeah, I'm not going to be、yeah. able to talk them out of it. So all I can do is be like enthusiastic, pretend so, to be excited. Yeah, and and then we were they were you know they, they were dividing up the various.、Uh, 
you know, assignments on the police beat. Even there, there's a kind of hierarchy of prestige. You mm. know, um, the white collar crimes, which does deals with corruption and fraud. That's a very, you know, uh, important position to have. So if you're covering that beat, you're kind of like the elite of the police beat. And mm -hmm. under that is um, Criminal Investigation Division One, which handles violent crimes, including murder. And that's you know that gets a lot of space. And then there are um, the Crime Prevention Bureau, which handles teenage crimes, crimes by teenagers, fraud, and, and that's pretty prestigious. And then at the very bottom was the Organized Crime Task Force. Because um, at the time, really, you know, people weren't aware of how much crime they were involved with because mm -hmm. they, their existence, they weren't sort of slipped under the radar. Um, and when my boss, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't, I sort of asked, well, why am I assigned to this one? And he was like, well, 30% of the Yakuza are foreigners. Koreans, Chinese, mostly Koreans, and another thirty percent are outcasts from you know the traditional Japanese caste system, and, and, you know, and a lot of the cops that handle it are weirdos, and you're weird, <laughs> and foreigner. you're a foreigner, <laughs> so you should fit right in. An outcast, so <laughs> an outcast, yeah, just like you. Send you kind of a blunt message. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's a, you know. Yeah. There's this saying in Japanese, "Jano michi hebi." So, if you want to follow the path of the serpent, be a snake. Oh, right. Okay. So. You know, which brings me to the fact that as I read the book, it strikes me that everyone has a philosophy, and you find yourself in conversations where you are being taught in a sense, and great philosophy just flows from random people. So I was wondering about the connection between that and Japanese culture. Uh, so Japanese is a, is a vertical culture, but there's a really sense of the senpai-kohai relationship, which is important. So your senpai is your senior. Mm -hmm. And, and your, it, the senpai is supposed to not only pay for the drinks, but also sort of pass on his knowledge to you. So there's like, you know, there's a long history of sort of, it has its good and its bad side because you know it's, you can't really argue with the senpai either mm -hmm. but uh, that system set up so you you know in a sense a good senpai mentors you and he passes on what his knowledge is and also i i think that i benefited from being a foreigner because they just assume that you're so clueless that they really you know, they need to explain to you like you know everything or you just won't get it and that helps right you know i don't think they would say necessarily the same thing to a japanese person i think they're you know saying to me like you know like you alien from another planet. Let me tell you how it works here on planet Earth. And for them, planet Earth is You're Japan. You're an alien from another planet. Up until today, you will always be. I will always be an alien from another planet. I mean, to, to people who know me and I'm close to, I mean, they forget that I'm a foreigner. You know, uh -huh. I mean, and sometimes it's, you know, it, it, occasionally, the, you know, there's sort of like, a pause in the conversation like oh like oh yeah you, oh you're you know, like oh you're a foreigner i forgot <laughs> did your did your jewish identity play any kind of role in uh in your time in japan it, it, it does in the sense that people uh people really do believe in this international jewish conspiracy so so not only they're extremely xenophobic they're also anti-semites there's a difference between anti-semite and being a conspiracy theorist so i wouldn't say they're anti-jewish they just have these weird ideas about so they How applaud the, the fact that we're applaud the like, fact. oh, you guys have a nice conspiracy going. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, could we, how could we do that? I mean, I mean you know, they're like, you know, I, I, one of my job interviews are like, you know, is it true, true that Jews control the world economy? And I said, you know, I, I know what the salary is going to be at this company. If they were controlling the world economy, I'd be applying somewhere else. <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> it, is, it is. When I read it, it struck me as anti pure anti-Semitism, though. But, but it, it's just ignorance, right? I mean, you know, it's... I mean, there is some anti-Semitism involved, mm -hmm. um, 
but mostly it's just, you know, these clueless people don't know anything about Judaism or Israel or anything at all. I, 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 I can't think of a time when it's actually been a negative. It's usually like, oh, you're a Jew. You must be, you must be very smart. Mm-hmm. You must right. be wealthy. They're, I mean, they're, the Jap- Japanese in general are like this very isolated. I mean, they're islanders, right? So they're very like airtight, secluded, kind of closed but, off culture, but, right? But, but, but there are a couple books. Uh, there's a book called The Japanese and the Jews, which, is, which was allegedly written by a Jewish person. It was actually written by a Japanese person in which they sort of like, like, like the similarities between Judaism and, and and Japan or Israel and Japan. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like, like mm-hmm. you know, the Jews are like, you know, like this this group of, uh, you know, homogenous one race and they bond together and stay together in their homeland. And like, mm-hmm. we Japanese are the same. Face you know, great challenges. Yeah, you know, face great challenges. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, the Japanese are actually one of the lost tribes of Israel. Cause we have, you know, <laughs> I felt though, Jake, uh, that there are, uh, key moments, uh, in the plot of the book where you being Jew did play a part because of the chutzpah. That's how I felt. You, there were points where you had the balls and that must have come from somewhere. Is it, I don't think it comes from my Jewish heritage. I think that's, that comes from learning to, you know, have balls. I don't think. Okay. Fair um, enough. I, I mean, it, it doesn't seem this way now, but I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. But the, but if you're going to do a job as a reporter, you have to ask questions. You have to be mm-hmm. very extroverted. So you do that for, you know, 24 years. With, yeah. Um, that sort of changes your personality. Um, and the, 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 you know, and some of what people think is chutzpah on my part is just like not really having a better choice. I mean, that's we, always we, that's chutzpah, you know. Yeah. So it's in a good sense of chutzpah. I mean, there's yeah. like is the bad one, you know, like the audacity, right? The yeah. bad chutzpah and the, yeah, and yeah. the good one. Um, let's talk a little bit about the fun stuff. So, sex in Japan, yes, and girls. How's dating there? Well, and how's sex perceived there? Okay, first of all, um, in, in Japan, because it's not a Judeo-Christian culture, there's you know, if you there's no first, third, fourth. There's no, you know, first base, second base, third base, home run. I mean, it's pretty much if you're going to be smooching, you're going to be having sex pretty quickly, and and that is refreshing, oh, really, because really, <laughs> it makes the courtship period. I just bought tickets. Much more straightforward. It's much more straightforward. Yeah. You were there. Yeah, it was. No one I told was in you Japan that. For for ten days, actually. No for, one told. Oh, you were with your sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see the opportunity for a really terrible joke here, but I'm gonna pass. <laughs> Okay, so um, smoothly moving on. <laughs> but, but, but okay, so Japan's attitude about sex is, um, you know, a very natural part of life. And even in Japan's oldest known literary work, which is kind of the Bible of Shintoism, Kojiki, there's this wonderful sequence in which the god of the god of the sun goddess Amenotarasu um, goes into a cave. And the world is plunged into darkness. Nobody knows what to do. So one of the lesser gods gets up on top of a rock, she starts taking off her clothes and masturbating, puts on this incredibly lewd strip show to which all the other gods applaud and start laughing. And then the sun goddess comes out of the cave to see what's going on, what the party is all about, and balance is restored to the universe. Okay. (laughs) So they they do have a very, I mean, their, their relationship with sex there is very, very weird. Very different from what we know. I I mean, you know, Sex in Japan, has, they also have very strange sex laws. So technically prostitution is illegal, but mm. there's no punishment for the female, for the, for, and it's also defined as between a man and a woman. 
Um, so homosexual prostitution doesn't exist, at least legally. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no punishment for the woman. There's no punishment for the customer. There's only punishment for the pimp or the brothel owner. And then every other sexual act that you possibly could want, blowjob, uh, analingus, hand job, frottage, whatever your pleasure is, mm-hmm. uh, as long as it's not vaginal penetration, that can be offered legally and purchased legally. Oh, really? I mean, there's zoning laws, of course. One of the one of the weirdest, which it's not even from my time there, but one of the weirdest things I remember uh-huh. about the sexual culture in Japan was when we were actually studying Japanese television in film school, and one of the reality shows there was of a um, a gay porn star. They brought a gay porn star and um, and and a straight man, and they put the straight man with a curtain around his, uh, you know, his his lower area and the gay poor star basically gave him oral sex and the the bet was whether or not he would finish or not but like from this guy giving him oral sex and that Mm. was a reality show that was like a normal reality uh, show in japan in japan less extreme and i was and people you know it were plastered to like their seats they were just like what the hell is going on here but that's just tv in japan but but nudity is like in the magazines and the newspapers you can you know it's everywhere yeah I mean, comic books are really graphic and stuff. So Japan, I, I, but on the other hand, they have also the, like it's weird because there's a contrast. Because then on the other hand, I know that the porn there is all like censored, and there's like these weird uh, so, contradictions. Right. So you, you have you know you 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 can go get a blowjob and it's legal, but you, if you want to buy pornography that doesn't that doesn't isn't pixelated, mm-hmm. um, then then it's illegal. Yeah, it, it's it's full of contradictions. <laughs> And especially in the internet, you know, day and age, like, you know, what's to stop someone from looking at a site, you know, to see nude pictures? Yeah, yeah. And, and why would you arrest someone for publishing a book of nude photography in this day mm-hmm. and age? Um, the bizarre case of uh, Roku Denashi, who made a 3D model of her vagina, which you could print out if you downloaded it and she was arrested for obscenity, was crazy because, you know, you can't even see the obscenity unless you download the file and then print it out on a 3d printer and it's not like a lot of people have that right so you know there are times <laughs> the, do you have any i mean do you do you have an explanation for why it is that they they have this you know but because you have cops whose job is to crack down on obscenity and now and then they need to find something to do you know to yeah. keep their numbers up yeah. but you married eventually a japanese girl i did uh, which is quite risky for a reporter dealing with the mob, right? Did they take advantage of it? No. I mean, you know, later in my career, when we, if it's, it's in the book, I had a very oblique threat against my family. And, you know, and... Uh, by I, whom? By Goro Taramaso, my least favorite gangster, who is still happily terrorizing people now in Cambodia, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's just... He supposedly became a Buddhist priest a couple of years ago, but he's a very bad Buddhist priest. <laughs> he's not very Zen. No, he's not very Zen. I, actually, it's a different. It's a, it's a. It's the. It's a Tendai sect of Buddhism. It's a different sect of Buddhism. Oh, okay. That reminds me. I need to go remind his spiritual advisor that uh, Tadamasa is still engaging in criminal activity, and he needs to kill himself as he promised. Right. Uh, so that's an oath they take. That's well. That's what the Buddhist priest told me. If Tadamasa does anything or harms anyone, and now that he's become a Buddhist priest, I'll kill myself. So I'm gonna go remind him. See what. See what he says. Uh, so you. Were were threatened yeah I mean, it was threatened in the most lovely of ways because Jap- japanese doesn't have a pronoun you don't have to have a pronoun okay so how does that work uh, so the threat was kind of like this and it, it was more like like 
you know, this article you're about to write really needs to be erased. Or if it's not erased, something else will be erased. Oh, by the way, you have a family here. That, that kind of sort of casual menacing way. You need to way. connect the dots. Yeah, and, and it was even longer. It was kind of like, you know, if, you know, if your father, you know, was dying of a disease and someone was about to, you know, do something that would prevent them from getting medical care at the hospital, then you would be like, that person would be like killing your father. And wouldn't that make you angry? And we, we were talking about the liver transplant of his of his boss. And I mean, I understood exactly what he was saying. And he was sort of saying in a phrase like, well, if you're going to do something that is going to prevent him from getting the treatment to keep him alive, well, you know, you know, I'm probably going to kill you, but not in those strict terms because yeah. they're smart. I mean, they exist, um, you know, uh, and by not getting arrested. Right. And, and, and they're very good at sort of using Japanese psychology and feelings of decorum and reciprocity to to menace people and get you to pay money. I mean, the, the thing I hate about dealing with Yakuza and why I'm sick of doing it after almost nearly a decade is that it doesn't matter what it is. They will find a reason to argue with you. It's like, it's like, like the worst aspect. Like imagine a, a sociopath Jewish mother who, who has a, you know, an a, army of, angry knife wielding Jewish mothers with her. <laughs> it's like whatever you're going to, whether, you know, like whether, you, whether you say it's, you know, we, whether it's the weather or, or, you know, how are you doing? They'll find some, something to pick apart and demand an apology. And then when you say you're sorry, they'll say, prove to me you're sorry. If you're really sorry, you would, you know, give me your iPhone or you would pay for my hotel or you would pay for this dinner. I'm like, so on, on the back of my, my phone, it has these, this, Four character Japanese saying seishin sei, which means like um, sincere heart and and sincere intention, but it's actually like something the yakuza always are saying, like when they're demanding compensation for alleged grievances. Uh -huh. So, like some people, Japanese people, see this and think it's really nice. They would have my phone, but cops see it and they just laugh because they know exactly <laughs> what so I'm referring so to. The yakuza, some of the yakuza are kind of just like Polish guilt tripping grandmothers. Yes, Polish yes, Jewish yeah, yeah. grandmothers. Yes, I mean with a little more punch to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a tad bit more. So, Jake, um, just to before we finish. Um, what are the three things that still perplex you about Japan? The th the, okay, the three things that still perplex me about Japan is one is, why is it taking so long for that country to have gender equality? I mean, in terms of gender right, equality... Right, because there are no women in the book almost uh, in key roles. Uh, in, in the Yakuza, there are no women at all. I want, yeah, there are no Yakuza bosses. There's never been a female Yakuza boss. Also, the newspaper and also the police has uh, really... Well, in I, the book, you know, in, relatively. In, but in real life, the Japanese police force has set this lofty goal of having 10% of the police force be women by 2020. 10%. Oh, 10%. Wow. At least they don't get ahead of themselves. <laughs> okay, so equality. Uh, okay. The, the, the second one is, why do they keep electing into power um, the Liberal Democratic Party, which always fucks over the people and makes laws that benefit corporations and screws them all over? Like, why? Why do they, mm -hmm. why do, they do this? Every now and then, you know, the Japanese people will, will give a, another party a, a chance, um, but they never give them enough of a chance to actually investigate, to instigate any change. And the third thing that that, that uh, baffles me about Japan yes. is I still don't understand why people are so reluctant to um, to seek help um, when they are mentally ill or having mental health problems. It's just nobody does that. Right. Um, I don't understand what the big stigma is. 
Um, against seeing, you know, a therapist or against a seeing a therapist or, or a psychologist or, or even telling a friend you're depressed or something. And people are really insular. That, those are the three big mysteries. So three. the girl's panties is not there on the list. No, so the girl's panties is not there on the list. What, the, the selling of panties and vending machines? Oh, that is so old. There's only like one or two places left to do that. In Tokyo, it is. There still are, though. There still, still are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want to say that the book is amazing. It is so well written. It it has everything you 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 want in your yeah. book. It's it's truth it's is funny. stranger it's, than fiction. Every, 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 really, everything it, is true it, there, it, right? It's true. Everything is true. I mean, I've changed the names of some 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 people on some events because people are very harsh to former prostitutes, even when they were victims of human trafficking. Um, everything is true. I mean, there are and and the stories like about uh, Sekin again and his wife who killed like ten people and chopped up the bodies and how the Yakuza ended up playing a role in their in their apprehension by the police. I mean, that stuff is great. I mean, that's why I, I that's why I read mostly nonfiction these days because it, it beats fiction almost all right, the time. Right, right. You can't imagine those and, things. And, and everything that I've learned in my life, um, you know, that it, what I thought of value is in that book somewhere. Um, right. So if you're a journalist, you can get something out of it. Um, and if you're interested, everyone can get something. Everyone, everyone can get can something, get something out, of out of it. Um, you can get it on Amazon, also for Kindle. And here it ha now has a Hebrew version. So if you want to read it in Hebrew, uh, you can buy it in Hebrew, right? And uh, I'm told that the Hebrew version is very good. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I can't even read Hebrew enough. To, I just, I just, I barely know enough to like put the book with the, facing the right way. I just have to look yeah. at the Japanese on there, the Japanese signs in the background, and then I know which way I'm supposed to be looking. Right, at. right, right. So this is a chance also to thank the pen publishers for bringing you, and uh, this is your first time in Israel, so it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Eitan? Arigato. Yeah, right. I, I, you guys do a great show. Keep keep it up. I'm thank, gonna, you. Uh, thank you so much. Chutzpah and chutzpah and, and swords. Maybe I'll write <laughs> in my next Yes. Eitan, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, Jake. Good luck. Bye-bye.